Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and joining me. He has been on the show before. We worked together for a long time in Minnesota. Danny Cunningham to break down everything Cleveland Browns. What is up, Danny? How are you? I am terrific. How are things up in Minnesota? Is it cold yet there? No, Danny, it is not that different climactic particularly uh here than it is in ohio all right so um well look you're doing great things in cleveland now uh you are at espn cleveland where you are on the air every day there which is very cool so i was on with you um, not too long ago earlier today and uh we got into the minnesota side of things so i want to dive into the Cleveland part of this, because uh, this is a huge game, Danny, for the Vikings. It's a huge game to show that that 0-2 start was, um, you know, kind of fluky, which it was, but like truly fluky, and that it's in the past and that you could beat a good team in your house and you could be a contender in the NFC North. It's sort of like one of those show it to me type of games. That's what it means to the Vikings. What does it mean to the Cleveland Browns? I do think that this is a bigger game for the Browns now, and this is not connected to any of the Kevin Stefanski stuff returning to Minnesota that, of course, is made into a little bit of a storyline. But looking at their upcoming schedule where the Vikings are a really good team, despite the fact that, like you said, they're a little bit of a fluky one and two team. They've got the Chargers who are look really good so far. Then they've got the Arizona Cardinals who might have the most electric player in the game right now in Kyler Murray. So not falling to back to the 500 mark at two and two and getting to three and one, maybe giving yourself a little bit of a cushion moving into that really tough part of your schedule before it relaxes a little bit down the road is a big deal for them, especially with Baltimore getting that win against Detroit last week on Justin Tucker's 66 yard field goal. That maybe shouldn't have happened makes this game a little bit more important just because you're going to need to win as many games as you can to win the AFC North, which is the Browns goal as it should be right now. So by no means is it the biggest game on their schedule, but this is a sneaky big game for the Browns. What a weird start to the schedule. I mean, you play this all out you know, throw down battle with Kansas city. That was an Epic football game come out on the wrong side of it, but then you say, well, look, it's Kansas city. And even though Kansas city is not, um, exactly sitting pretty at the moment. They're still the premier team in the AFC until proven otherwise. Uh, so, okay, you can take that as a moral victory. And then it's Houston. It's awful. And then it's a very puzzled Justin Fields who doesn't know what his coach wants him to do. <laughs> Five-man five protections that aren't allowing Justin Fields to like stand in there and throw the football. Just a, like a clueless head coach on the other side. And the Browns just, you know, beat the tar out of the Chicago bears. So what do you feel like, you know, about the Browns when they've had such an odd start schedule wise? I think that we know this is a team that certainly has weapons offensively. I don't think that they've reached their peak on that side of the football by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that defensively, while they didn't look great against Kansas city, holding that team to 33 points, isn't necessarily a bad outcome when you've got Patrick Mahomes and Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey and all those guys. And then against Houston, they didn't necessarily look great, but they looked better in the second half. Chicago, the effort defensively was historic. I, I mean, they allowed 46 yards of total offense, which is definitely Insane. Brown's record since 99 one net passing yards because they sacked poor Justin Fields nine times. And the truth is somewhere in the middle defensively. They're not as good as they were against Chicago. They're not going to have nine sacks every week and just smother opposing offenses. 
but they're also not going to allow guys to go 10 of 11 passing like Tyrod Taylor did in the first half before he pulled his hamstring and left the game in the Houston contest. So the truth there is somewhere in the middle. We're still figuring out really what this defense is. Joe Woods was the defensive coordinator last year and the defense wasn't good. I mean, your old friend, Andrew Sandejo was playing a bulk of <laughs> safety. And in 2020, that's good for nobody, right? That's what the Browns were. They upgraded personnel a lot. There's eight or nine new starters on defense, depending the personnel that they're in. And that group is still kind of trying to work together and figure each other out. And the, what I've really been comparing it to is what the offense was last year for the Browns. They opened up last year, got smoked by Baltimore. Looked terrible offensively. I think they scored six points in that game. They looked okay for a couple weeks. Then they played Pittsburgh, scored seven points, got embarrassed. The offense didn't really start clicking until halfway through the season because it was a bunch of guys learning a new system. While the system defensively hasn't really changed much from last year, there are new things that they can do. But the personnel is so different that it might as well just be an entirely new defense because of everyone else having to learn it all at the same time. You've got Miles Garrett, who's a freak. You've got Denzel Ward, who's a very good cover guy. But other than that, everyone else is new. So they're still trying to learn how to play together. And I do think when they finally get to that point of realizing how good they can be, it should be a unit that ranks inside the top 10. Top five might be a little bit optimistic, but they should ultimately be a team that has a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense at the end of the year. So on, of course, this show, I've talked about Kevin Stefanski and what he did in Minnesota and how they were ready to make him the head coach. If that situation sort of played out in 2019, he wins coach of the year last year, which sets high expectations. But also, if you look at some of the coaches of the year, uh, they get fired a lot because it sets very high expectations. And sometimes it can be fluky in a given year, or sometimes a team exceeds expectations and gets too much credit. But I don't think that with Kevin Stefanski, these things are a problem because I see an offense that's really modern. He doesn't have Sean McVay's hair. He does not have Sean McVay's, uh, you know, ability to talk and do interviews and be excitable and things like that, that sort of captivates people. Yeah. But he has the offense that looks like a Rams offense. You have lots of motions and different personnel groupings. And Andre Patterson was talking about how there'd be multiple times to line up and empty and then shift. And then a lot of different things um, that I feel like is about as modern as it gets in the NFL. So what is the general feeling about Kevin Stefanski there? Is it, wow, we've really got ourselves one of those guys that gives you a chance to take your team farther than maybe even you're, you're able to, uh, or is it still some skepticism after, you know, one good year? There's no skepticism of Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland, okay. certainly not amongst the fan base. Part of that is due to the fact that he's a really good head coach. He deserved to be the coach of the year last year. I know you mentioned that he doesn't necessarily have the personality and the hair of Sean McVay, and he's not a super <laughs> excitable guy. He, he is a flatliner, and that's okay because while he's a flatliner, he's an adult, and that's something that has been missing from the head coaching job in Cleveland for a really long time. So there's no skepticism there in part because he's really good, but in part because this city has been so starved for that type of person for so long. And it, it wasn't hard for him to get this entire city to buy in. And I also think that aside from doing all those really fun things offensively, which we can get into and you brought up the, the tight end thing, which is one of my favorite things to talk about with this team, the way that he's able to handle that locker room is really awesome. And 
one of the the moment that I actually knew this was going to work was before he was actually hired by the Browns. I was still working with you for score North covering the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I was talking to a guy who used to work with the organization. who was a source of mine. And he happened to also work for the Vikings in a limited capacity. I don't know if he does anymore or not, but he knew Kevin really well. And me being the guy that had a relationship with him covering the Wolves also was still a Browns fan and wanted to know about, hey, there's this guy from Minnesota that you probably know that's interviewing to be the head coach of my favorite football team. What can you tell me about him? I don't care about the Wolves right now. I want to know about Kevin Stefanski. And Matthew, he told me that he's going to be a phenomenal head coach in the NFL, that his leadership skills are unlike anybody that he had ever met. And these, this guy is close with Kevin, but he told me, he goes, if something were ever to happen to me, I would want him to take care of my kids. That's the type of person Kevin Stefanski is. And it might be a little cliche, but that was kind of the moment I bought in and believed that this was the guy and the city of Cleveland really has never wavered on him. Now, maybe after the week one loss in Baltimore where things looked really bad and it was a doomsday scenario. Oh, they, they picked the wrong guy. He stinks. And people kind of failed to realize, okay, preseason was really different last year in terms of training camp. There were no dress rehearsal games for him. And he went against a team that went 14 and two the year before. Like that's a really tough hand to draw. But since then it's been nothing but glowing reviews for him. Truly. And uh, it's hard to find anybody that doesn't have those. And, and I think that yeah. that's, that's why when he left, I think a lot of us thought this is going to work probably. And the way that he treats people, I think is at the very uh, height of why that we see so many ass clown head coaches in the league who just have these silly notions about how they're going to be the tough, hard head coach, or they're going to make their guys run laps, or they're going to call guys out in meetings like Matt Patricia was doing. And, and, and Kevin Stefanski's just been around pro football players for far too long to think that any of that stuff is really going to work. So uh, I'm not surprised to hear that. And I'm not surprised about any of the success that he's had so far. Now, the difference maker though, Danny, and whether this team can go really far or just kind of far, I think is Baker Mayfield. And uh, I, I still think that with Baker Mayfield, there's a little bit of, is he really good enough? And now you can look at other guys on their rookie contracts who weren't as good as Baker Mayfield, um, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, and Jimmy Garoppolo was on a cheap deal. He was not on a very expensive contract and they built up a great team. So we've seen similar quarterbacks like him get to the Super Bowl. But um, I I guess there's there remains this bit of is Baker really is he the guy that you want to you know sign to the big contract? And it seems like in Cleveland, um, the fans are all in on him as their long-term quarterback. Uh, but that that's my view of it. Is, is there a debate? Is there still people who want to f- sort of find this out? There's a small faction of fans that still believe that, you know, maybe they need to see a little bit more. Maybe he's not quite the guy. There are certainly his detractors in Cleveland that always will be skeptical of him. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum, there are people that have been so quarterback starved in this town, which has been truly remarkable. Just the run of bad quarterback play that has been here that they don't care if Baker even gets any better than he is right now. He's the best that we've ever had sign him to a lifetime deal. And I can understand both of those points of view. I think that he's a guy that certainly has improved and 
the coaching situation is one that needs to be mentioned when you talk about his development because he came into the league, Hugh Jackson was in charge. And then the second year they hired Todd Haley as the offensive coordinator to try and fix things or, or no, excuse me, Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley were fired in the first year and Freddie kitchens took over and Baker looked awesome right down the stretch of that, of his rookie season. Didn't win rookie of the year, but he was at that time, the best in that class. He had the best rookie season of that class of quarterbacks. I know Lamar went to the playoffs, but they used him in a bit of a different role. He wasn't the guy in Baltimore mm -hmm. that first year that he later became. Josh Allen had a rough rookie season. Josh Rosen was really bad. So, And Sam Darnold was too. That was that class. Second year, everything flies off the rails. He's not the guy that we expected him to be. Freddie Kitchens was certainly part of the problem. And then his third year, he's on his third head coach, fourth head coach, really, if you count Greg, Greg Williams as the interim, he's on his fourth head coach in three years. And I think having some stability now is really going to speed up that maturation process that was derailed a little bit just because of the things around him. Now, he's not the freak athlete that Lamar is, that Justin Field is, that some of these, the new breed of NFL quarterback is going to be, but he's been extremely accurate this year. That shoulder injury, although it's to the left side, I think that may have been the cause of some of his misfires in Chicago against Chicago this week. He was wearing a brace on that left shoulder that I think may have constricted his throwing motion just a touch. And as you know, if you're a fraction of anything off in the NFL, things can lead to, to go haywire a little bit, but he's looked really good so far this year. He looked really, really good down the stretch last year. I personally do believe that he's the guy. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He might not be Justin Herbert. He's, but I do think he's going to be better than Jimmy Garoppolo and Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and those guys that signed the big deal and things went wrong. I don't think that the Browns are in danger of that being the situation that happens. So you were here for a lot of Kirk in Minnesota. Yes. And, um, you know, sort of the better and the worse in 2019 when he plays really well, 2018, where there were a lot of rocky moments. Um, and then, you know, last year from afar, I'm sure you noticed that it was kind of the same thing and they just had a very poor defense and that, you know, made the difference. And here we are hot streak for Kirk cousins. Uh, and we'll see how long it lasts and how much they can sustain it and so forth. But I want you to compare and contrast Baker Mayfield and Kirk Cousins. Like, what, what do you think is the same? What do you think is different between those two guys? I think that the areas they excel on the field is relatively similar. I know Kirk does, does a lot of really good things in play action, and Baker does that too. A lot of that, I think, can be attributed to the fact that they've shared offensive coaches a little bit with Kevin Stefanski getting to work with Kirk um, for his first couple of years there and then obviously running the show with Baker here. And I think the biggest difference, and it's something you brought up on my show tonight when you joined us, is the leadership aspect, where guys rally around Baker Mayfield. And there have been, I think that he's earned a lot of respect inside that locker room that I'm not so sure Kirk Cousins has in the Minnesota locker room. And maybe I don't have my finger on the pulse of that locker room the way you, I know I don't, the way that you do. But there were clips that came out from Baker Mayfield week two against Houston. He threw an interception that, truthfully was not his fault rookie wide receiver stopped his route when he shouldn't have ends up right in the hands of Justin Reed really good safety for the Texans Baker's trying to make the tackle which you can argue is not a wise decision there gets run over dislocates his left shoulder he's on the field trainers come out goes into the medical tent goes to the locker room comes back out doesn't miss a play and later it's revealed that he was mic'd up for the game. And of course, NFL films releases all that footage and it's typically great stuff. Mm 
And he's like, yeah, my shoulder popped out. Not feeling great. I'm not missing plays. Like I'm going right back in. I, I, someone asked him, you know, how are you feeling? He goes, well, I've been better, which is true, <laughs> but he played through a dislocated shoulder that he does. You don't need to do that. Like that's a, a legitimate injury. And I think when you can do that as a quarterback, someone that typically doesn't want to get hit, you earn a little bit more respect doing that. And that's a move that I never questioned Baker would do. The only thing that was going to keep him out was breaking his collarbone in that moment. And once you kind of realize it was a dislocated shoulder, there's never a doubt he's playing. He was on the injury report last week. He's not this week with it, but it's playing through those types of things that builds credibility in the locker room and as a leader. And I think he's really done a good job of that, despite the situation not always being his best. And he's also grown up. If you mm -hmm. think back to 2019 when Freddie Kitchens was here and Colin Cowherd would talk about him on his radio show and Baker would log on to Twitter and fire back and do that type of stuff, he doesn't do that anymore. If you listen to him talk in his weekly availability or after the game, he sounds a little bit robotic. He sounds a little bit like Kevin Stefanski. And you know what? That's how I want my quarterback to sound. I don't want my quarterback out there taking shots at people. I don't want my quarterback being flamboyant and boastful and doing all those things because there's always work to be done. And I don't know that Baker always realized that early in his career, but he does now. And I think that's gone a long way in his development. And until you're Aaron Rodgers level, then you can be. Yeah, uh, I mean, when you're Rodgers, Holmes, <laughs> you can light the world on fire, but yep. those guys, there's not many of them. And I think Baker has realized that he's not there yet. And I think he wanted to be there a lot quicker than he was able to get there early in his career. Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, t-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the straight cash homie Randy Moss homage, can't stop the Thielen hats, and a personal favorite, the old video game designs The Tecmo fans will appreciate check it all out at sodastick.com that is s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com everything is screen printed here in minnesota and i can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now soda stick at this point again that's sodastick.com minnesota sports inspired goods and keep your eye out for our soda stick giveaways What's so interesting about uh, the, these two quarterbacks is absolutely the personalities are on complete different sides of the spectrum where Baker, you had to kind of pull him back a little bit. And with yeah. Kirk, they've had to push him more to relate to the other players a little bit more, to be a little more loose, a little more himself. Uh, and so the conversation early in the season here as he's played very well has been, oh, it's, it's a little bit different Kirk. He's hanging out with the guys a little more and he's shown a little more swagger was used to describe Kirk Cousins, which is uh, unusual, but it's three games in and 17 game season. And I feel like we've kind of been through this before. There was a time where he was giving the pregame speeches because um, was it Linval was out or Everson was out or someone whoever did them. And uh, I remember them talking about like, oh yeah, his pregame speeches are great and we all love it. It gets us all amped up. He's really become our leader. And then they lost like two or three games and we never heard anything about it again. And <laughs> this is like sort of, <laughs> It's like classic football as we sort of wait for the results and then write the narrative after. And so I think as they go along here and they face difficult teams and bumps in the road and, and challenges, 
that then we sort of will find out how much of this has been true and how much of it is, hey, we're really happy he's playing well and we're sort of trying to speak it into existence. Where with Baker Mayfield, it's much more natural. And then there's the aggression point of it too, that the third down aggression, Baker Mayfield's at the top of the league last year, Kirk Cousins at the bottom of the league. And this year, Cousins, at least in the last game, was very aggressive on third down and successful, not so much against Arizona, kind of see where that goes uh, as we go forward, just how aggressive Kirk Cousins is going to be. So I think that there's really interesting differences between them. I, I want you to tell me, Danny, because you've talked about how good Stefanski is, improved defense, so forth. Give me kryptonites for the Cleveland Browns. Give me weaknesses. Give me things that uh, all Cleveland Browns fans are staying up on Saturday night worrying about. The biggest positional issue right now, and this could be solved depending on how some guys develop, but is the linebacker position. And analytically, it's not the most important position anymore. It's, I think sort of become the running back of the defense in a way, in terms of the way that football people think about linebackers, where you're not going to, unless it is an absolute stud, draft them in the first round anymore, where we've kind of gone away from that as a league. The Browns signed Anthony Walker in the offseason, who really didn't have a great year in Indianapolis last year. I know his PFF grade was in the mid-40s. It really was nothing to write home about. But they drafted Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa in the second round out of Notre Dame, and he's been really good when he's been on the field. Like this past week against Chicago, I think his grade was in the mid-90s. He had the highest grade for a linebacker across the league, but he only, he's only playing 50% of the snaps, and that's a worry. I think that the depth in the secondary is something that's a worry as well. Like this week, Greg Newsom, who was the team's first round pick corner, he's out with a calf injury. He's going to be week to week. And Greedy Williams, who was a second round pick, I believe in 2019, missed all of last year with nerve injury in his shoulder. He's going to be starting in place. And that's a, a giant question mark opposite of Denzel Ward. So the kryptonite, truthfully, is always going to be this defense until they prove otherwise. You can... Obviously, Miles Garrett is great. Jadavian Clowney has been really good since he's been here. The defensive tackle position, Malik McDowell, looks like he might be a diamond in the rough, a guy that was drafted in the second round by Seattle in 2017, got into an ATV accident, got into some trouble with the law, never played a down of football before this year in the NFL, and has been pretty good in his first action in, in the league. So that's still a question mark, but the kryptonite, is the defense. We don't know if it's going to be something that holds up. It's not something that's been proven. They were great against Chicago, but I question how much of that was Joe Woods had an awesome plan and the guys executed it perfectly versus Matt Nagy put forth the worst game plan I've ever seen in the NFL. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it says um, a lot because I've seen a lot of bad ones, but I felt bad for Justin Fields on Sunday. And it's not often that I'm ever going to feel bad for an NFL player if they're healthy, like if you get injured really bad, yeah, obviously I'm gonna feel for you, but he just, he was helpless and Matt Nagy made it worse. And uh, I recorded an episode with Sage Rosenfels too, uh, this week where it's like, wait, are we all just sort of saying the same thing? And the answer is, uh, you know, no, even someone with a more trained eye is saying, what the hell were they doing? So, um, people look forward to, to that episode with Sage where we talk about sort of coaches and quarterbacks and philosophies and things like that. Um, so that that's really good. I recorded that with him the other day. But, um, okay, before we wrap up, I've got a little uh, trivia for you with Cleveland Browns. Ooh, Browns coaches again? Um, not Browns coaches this time. Okay. Uh, but, but, first, but first, though, tell me, give me how this plays out. 
on Sunday football game. I think that the Browns are going to be able to run the ball and maybe Anthony Barr, if he's back changes this, but I think that they're going to be able to run the ball earlier, more effectively than they were this past week. Like against Chicago, they, they really struggled ripping off big runs in the first half with Keem Hicks and Cleo Mack playing pretty well for that Bears defensive front. And Roquan Smith's a really good player too over there. They struggled and then they kind of put the ball, the game away. And they won that game because Chicago's offense couldn't do much. I think that this is going to be a higher scoring affair. Baker Mayfield in play action is going to be something I would really look for this week, just because that Minnesota defense is not the Minnesota defense that it's been in the past. I know Harrison Smith's still there, but he's getting up there in age. He was a guy I couldn't believe they signed to the contract extension. They did this off season, not because he's not a good player, but because of his age, like you just can't trust a guy to age that gracefully. I don't think. I do think that this is a game. The Browns are going to win. This is also a game. I think that, both teams might score over 30 points. And because I don't trust the Browns defense, I think it might be more talented than the Vikings defense, certainly with Miles Garrett, Davian Clowney, Denzel Ward. They've got bigger names, I would argue. And I do think that they're a little bit more talented, but they're not proven either, despite what the box score says last week. I would say the Browns win this one probably in the range of 35-31 type of game. Yeah, I'm going to pick a high-scoring game, too. I, I don't think the Vikings can solve all of their defensive issues against a team that can be really tremendous on offense. Uh, the fact that they both like to run the ball, maybe I wouldn't go quite in the 30s, but I think uh, another game that we would project to be close. Okay, here is your trivia question, Danny. There yes. are five quarterbacks who have thrown a pass against the Minnesota Vikings for the Cleveland Browns since the Browns returned in, was it uh, 1999, right? Correct. Okay. So I'm going to give you the years and I want you to tell me the quarterbacks and side note, no Browns quarterback against the Vikings has even put together a 75 quarterback rating or higher. Well, so I mean, the last Vikings game I remember was the Vikings Browns game. I remember was the one in London and that one was bad. Okay. So let's start there. Do you know who the quarterback was for the Browns that day in London, a 33, 16 win for the Vikings? I know Deshaun Kaiser started the game. Um, Kevin Hogan may have played too, but I just, remember just Kaiser. Yep. Okay. Just Kaiser. Um, I remember Kaiser's touchdown celebration. I believe he had a rushing touchdown. I remember him running up and down the sidelines and the team went 0 and 16. Yep, I believe Cleveland had a lead at the half, and then it became... They did, yes. I, yeah. I remember watching that at 8 in the morning. I'm like, the Browns might do something here, and the second half was bad. It became very ugly. 2013, the Cleveland Browns beat the Minnesota Vikings, a Vikings team that had a really rough 2013. 31-27, uh, to this quarterback threw for 321 yards, three touchdowns, three picks. 2013. Can you tell me what week in the season it was? That was, let's see, it was in September. So it would Ryan have been. Hoyer would be yep. the answer, I believe. He, yep, uh, that is correct. Because they started off that year three and two, and then they lost 10 of their last 11 games after Brian Hoyer tore his ACL on a Thursday night game. Against the Bills. Yes. They won that game. That was their, and then they lost 10 of the next 11. I believe Brandon Whedon came in. Uh, to replace him. He was on that roster and Jason Campbell was on the roster too. Wouldn't surprise me if Josh Gordon had a big game uh, against the Vikings that year. EJ man. Yeah. EJ Manuel also got hurt that same night. Jeff tool ended up playing quarterback. It was a, what a uh, game. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What a football game that was. Okay. Huh. So uh, going back in time here. So we've done 2017, 2013, the 
uh, most recent time other than that was in 2009, a special season for the Vikings. The Vikings won the opener of the 2009 season, 34 to 20. Uh, Favre game managed against whom? 2009 would have mm-hmm. been around the end of the Derek Anderson era. Um, I'm not sure if he was on the team then, but I know he would have been in 08. He made the Pro Bowl in 07. Uh, Charlie Fry was gone. Was that Brady Quinn? It was. That's correct. It's Brady Quinn. Yep, that is right. And uh, he played terribly. We for him here, man. We really did. Yep, he was sacked we five, five was times. We thought he was going to be the guy to rescue the franchise. Yeah, sacked five times that day, 205 yards. Not a good showing from Brady Quinn. You are doing great in this game, but I think this is about to get a little harder. Uh, 2005 Cleveland Browns. And this one, if you go into your trick bag and get it, I will be very impressed. The Browns lost to the Vikings 24 to 12 uh, on November 27th, 2005. And I will, I'll give it, I have a hint if you need it. I believe Trent Dilfer was on oh, the that. Oh, nailed it. Was nailed it. it. I wasn't sure because no one in Cleveland until Baker really started all 16 games. So I just wasn't sure if he was going to be the guy that started that week. But I knew he was on the roster that year. You nailed it. Trent Dilfer went 23 for 35, one touchdown, two picks, five times sacked. Not a very good day for Trent Dilfer. Now, I said there were five. But uh, the one was sort of a tricky question because it was Charlie Fry threw one pass in that game. And it was actually picked off in that same game as Dilfer. So well done. Well done. There was also a punter who threw a pass in 2013. And he completed that pass for a touchdown. Reggie Hodges? It was uh, Spencer Lanning was the punter who threw a touchdown. I guess we'll have to look up that one. Uh, But well done, Danny. You know your Cleveland sports, as I expected. I'm I'm, I'm I'm impressed with myself that I got Trent Dilfer there. You should be. I, I was ready to pull out some hints on Trent Dilfer. So uh, Danny, you're working for ESPN Cleveland. I am very happy for you that you have gone to your home city and uh, succeeded after we worked together here in Minnesota. Okay. So love to see it. And um, well, anytime you need me in Cleveland, anytime I need you on here, maybe it'll be a playoff game. That oh, we will the Super Bowl. Someplace. Maybe it'll be the Super Bowl. I don't know. Yeah, uh, but I'll you know, would freeze over then. Yeah. Round Super Bowl. Come on. It no. Yeah. That, that means the apocalypse is going to actually happen. So uh, Danny, great stuff. Glad to see your success. And uh, we will talk again soon, my friend. Thank you so much for having me, Matthew. It's been a pleasure.